That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Okay, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. It's Dr. Dave here and I have a, a return, a return guest. It's Dr. Michelle Pulbega. Hello, hello, everyone. Yeah, so uh, yeah, you're you're I think our second return guest, and you might be returning a few more times, but we won't get too into that yet. Anyway, you've you did some exciting stuff recently. Well, you've been sort of obsessed with the gallbladder. Let's be honest, you've been obsessed with the gallbladder. So, do you want to give us a little bit of a, a rationale for your obsession with the gallbladder lately? Yeah, I think I touched on it when we talked about parasites, which is another passion of mine. Um, my passions are poop, parasites, and gallbladder. Now we're adding that to the list. Um, I'm, a, I'm a woman of many talents. Um, I, <laughs> I, I kind of got into the gallbladder because I was starting to get so many people coming in who have had their gallbladders removed. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And, or people, <coughs> excuse me, it tickle. And I was starting to get more people coming in with stones with being threatened to have their gallbladders removed. And I was like, there's got to be a way around this. And there's been like inklings of information through the years of how the gallbladder influences thyroid function or how influences and bile influences the gut microbiome and all these different things. And I was like, I think that this is far more valuable than most people give give it credit for. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's a far more valuable organ. I think a lot of people see it as easily um like dismissive right it's it just holds bile basically i think is the idea and then if that's all it does then it's not really of much value so you can remove it as an organ um and well let's be honest you can live without it right like that that's probably what a lot of people are thinking is like oh you can live without it so like maybe it's not absolutely critical to from a certain perspective right you can live without it but what is the quality of your life and your health without that organ to regulate things properly so I think we still need and you mentioned something I remember in our parasite podcast you mentioned that you know I don't remember if you used 
a God analogy, but you're like, God wastes nothing in the body or there's nothing wasted in the body. I can't remember exactly how you put it, but like no organ is a waste. Everything has a purpose. And I think we need to start recognizing that and honoring that more. And I really liked your phrasing of that, whatever it was, because I clearly did not quote you accurately, but (laughs) I appreciated the sentiment. (laughs) You got the oomph of uh, it anyway. I got, yeah, I got the gist of it. And I just, uh, I've been, I just been, I keep thinking about it more and more. And I was talking to a colleague of mine. He's not a naturopath, but he does work in like the holistic healthcare field and like mind, body, medicine, energetic medicine, like also just like, like including quantum psychology with the physical side of things, the emotional side of things. He, he works in a cool realm of stuff and he and I were chatting and I know he recommends gallbladder flushes. So I was chatting hmm. with him about it and picking his brain. And then it just kept it was like light bulb, light bulb, light bulb, light bulb about so many things. And even like people coming in with itchy skin and people coming in with these weird symptoms. And I was like, ah, in the back of my mind, my intuition kept just being like, I bet you this is a gallbladder thing, right? You should explore this further. So, um, I itchy spoke to skin. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did I tell you about my, my, uh, time doing visceral manipulation? No, tell me. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I don't want to hijack your story, but I, I want to like color, color it a little bit, add a little bit of fun story time to it. When I did my visceral manipulation course, uh, the first one is abdomen one. And and one of the ones we did was a gallbladder, sort of like a physical kind of drain. It's called the gallbladder drain. So sort of like a flush. Anyway, I I got, I had the gallbladder drain done uh, by someone who's just learning like me. And so maybe we do it a little bit more aggressively than you do it as you get to be a little bit more refined in your technique. But that night after I had my gallbladder drained, I was itchy as all hell. It was horrible. I was like, I was like, what? there's no way this is from the gallbladder. Uh, like I'm horribly itchy that night. It was so crazy. And I had, I think I had a beer or two that night. It was horrific. I could just taste bile. So I love it. I anyway. love it. It's horrific for you, but I love, I love the, the real life story to be able to connect the dots. Yeah. That's what, that's why I wanted to do is connect the dots. Cause I do find the visceral nips really good for like really getting like, okay, real time evidence of like okay there's a relationship here from this traditional stuff that we've known for a while so there yeah I just I no I love it I think I think that's awesome I think it's really cool that there was this this moment where you connected those two particular you know things together and I just I feel like I was talking to my friend my colleague about it and he was like listen if your lymphatic system your lymphatic system is going to drain things on a systemic level. So like skin issues, things like that, but it's always going to bring it to the liver. And if the liver and the gallbladder are insufficient at taking that information or that sludge mm-hmm. and doing what it's supposed to do with it, there's a backlogging of just unnecessary waste and toxic byproduct, et cetera, in the body. And then you're going to start to have symptoms about that, right? From that. So I was like, that totally makes sense. And I think the gallbladder or stones specifically, or sluggish bile, or thick bile, or stones are a big limiting factor to why people's bodies maybe don't heal to the capacity that they should, because they Mm -hmm. can't let go fully of what no longer serves them, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Whether it's emotionally, physically, or whatever. Anyway, so I wanted to get into it more, and he sent me um, his handout about the gallbladder flesh, uh, and I was like, all right, we're, we're going to do it. I was just like, we're just going to do it. Cause I feel like the best way to learn is through trial and error. And I wanted to be comfortable to process before I start recommending it to clients. As yeah, well. I feel sure. like that's just very good. I think eth- work ethic on, on a practitioner's part. So um, I thought I got to figure this out. And then I ended up buying 
the book by Andreas Mor Moritz, who I think created the Flash. I think he is the founder of it. And it's his book. And I've it literally just arrived this week. So I haven't fully leafed through it. But the few little bits of things that I've seen, I was like, oh, oh, as just like little, you know, and the and the idea that a lot of gallstones are actually in the liver and not in the gallbladder. And we're always trained to believe that gallstones are in the gallbladder. Mm. And when you talk to people about that, and I've been trying to plant the seed for some of my clients now that I'm learning about this. And because of some of their symptoms, it's something I'm going to want to implement maybe in a couple of months when I, once I feel like they're in a better place to like go forth with this kind of a process, yeah. once I understand it more. Yeah. And then a lot of their concerns are like, well, wouldn't I have the pain? Wouldn't I have gall, gallstone pain or acute pain? And I was like, well, if a gallstone is being lodged in a duct and it's stuck, then yes, you can have more acute pain, but some people might just feel a dull ache. And sometimes you just have other symptoms. Yeah. Um, so it's not always going to present as like a gallbladder attack, right? That's more when a stone has dislodged and it's stuck in a, in a bile duct or it's like tearing through its way through a duct. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not pleasant, right? So I think that, uh, uh, me trying to help people save this organ is going to be, I, I'm hoping that it's a big game changer for a lot of people. Like not only is gut health really important, but I think our body's ability to purge is important. And I know you and I even touched on the fact that some people believe that the body is self-detoxifying and in theory it is. But I think that we in modern day society have done so much to burden that system and also cause hiccups in how that system operates. Um, like, poor diet, poor exercise, poor hydration, Hiccups, which leads choice. to bigger, yeah, Hiccups. leads to bigger stone yeah. formation. Yeah. <laughs> Hiccups, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's, let's just, um, before you go too much into that, why don't you, why don't you give us a bit of like a, a rundown? Cause I, I might've hijacked your sort of no, uh, part there where you're talking about like itchiness and all these other sort of other, maybe <laughs> other symptoms or other, other sort of whispers of the gallbladder, right? Like, I'm a, I'm a gut whisperer. I'm listening to I know, whispers. But your, your, your choice of words continues to amuse me. And I appreciate it. Good. Well, hopefully for our listeners, hopefully for our listeners too, instead of drive them nuts. Anyway, um, <laughs> what are the other whispers of the gallbladder that may be clinical whispers? <laughs> she can't take it. She can't um, take I it. I almost swear. Am I allowed to swear? Cause I was <laughs> a little bit. A little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. Okay. So um, I would say constipation or diarrhea, either one of those could be a gallbladder issue. Um, mm -hmm. Changes in appetite, mm -hmm. uh, reflux, mm -hmm. liver, gallbladder can often be a big part of reflux and it has nothing to do with your stomach. Um, nausea is a big one too. And this has gotten me thinking about pregnancy as well, because women are already more prone to stone formation because of estrogen's effect on the gallbladder and the liver. But pregnancy also leads to a higher likelihood of stone formation. I haven't looked into the why, but I imagine it's hormonal related as well. Um, and there are so many women who have just like insane nausea during pregnancy. And mm. it's gotten me thinking that if just stuck bile and poor gallbladder function and poor liver function can cause nausea just in and of itself. I wonder if that's related to pregnancy as well and the, and the insane amount of nausea happening in pregnancy. And I actually mentioned it to my colleague, Jay, and he was like, I would bet, I would bet a lot of money that that's a big part of it. 
it's got to be a big part of it, right? There's, it's, it's hard, like, like in many situations, there's a few different factors changing at the same time. You've got obviously massive hormonal changes, but then you've got crazy structural uh, restrictions going on too, right? Like um, there's just less space, like all, I mean, look at the way the, the uterus just like fires up into the abdomen is like, what's up? I'm here. And it turns into like a, like a, our little guy was 10 pounds, nine. That's a big human. Oh my God sort of like pushing all our organs up and there's so there's going to be a structural issue there too so yeah but even in the first trimester when there isn't a yeah, lot of less, structural change yeah. when when women really have that onset Ooh, touche, of nausea touche right i feel <laughs> sorry sorry to call out your theory a little bit although that's a big part Damn. of it i'm sure but i feel like it's just it's just so pronounced and i think we've just like just like our society has normalized a lot of symptoms that should not be normalized i'm starting to wonder if this morning sickness and this first trimester nausea really should be as normalized as it is Mm -hmm. i might crack the code on this guys (laughs) yeah there's no i think there's something there i i think there's something there and and i i thought i've i've talked to patients about the difference between reflux uh like biliary reflux and um and just like reflux of the stomach contents i've had a tough time discerning sometimes or most times I should say uh, without a hands-on assessment but one of the things I saw with the gallbladder when I know it's the gallbladder is it tastes like bile Mm. when I mean and that is extra special I mean it's a special place in hell for that (laughs) (laughs) seriously like reflux of acid is like okay it burns like and maybe has that sort of like sour sort of sourness to it but when you get some bile coming back up, it's extra special, nasty. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I had a I had a client who Bitter. ended up having an endoscopy. Where was it? She was in I think she was in Poland, and they were trying to rule out H. pylori and all these things. And I already alluded to some of these things. And then she ended up going there and mentioning it to some of her her family, and they're like, "Go get tested!" And like in Poland, they're just like, "We're going to test all the things." And I was right. like, "That's amazing! I love that they're thorough." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they ended up seeing a lot of bile in her stomach, and I was like, "Oh, girl, we got to, We got to do something about that." But <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, not just, good. It's not normal. Also, just going back to you, all some of the whispers, the body whispers. Um, there do you was know why also- I'm saying it that partially too? Is because some of these things aren't like pathognomonic frank signals of like bam you have this you have that and that's our job as naturopaths yeah right is to pick up on the the yellow the the little yellow lights or the whispers it's true because sometimes your body just has subtle ways of trying to communicate with you before it smacks you on the head with a brick to be like why Mm. aren't you paying attention yes (laughs) so but uh but it's the oh angry personalities there's a list there's literally a list now but some of the things that started to make me wonder about it was just people with like poor digestive health people with chronic infections especially like digestive infections people with skin issues i'm think i'm looking at people who you're doing all the right things but they just don't seem to get better and mm-hmm. i'm like maybe there's something stuck there so they just can't get rid of what they need to get rid of properly mm-hmm. um there's there was in this list though, they talk about things even like depression. They talk about anger. It's called a bilious personality, but oh, an man, angry I was personality. Wait, I'm just sitting here waiting for you to talk about bilious disposition or temperament. 
Yeah. But like, think about a lot of people in our world. A lot of people are just angry and a lot of people worry a lot. And and that worry stresses the gallbladder in Chinese Mm -hmm. medicine. Am I out there on that one? That's correct, right? Like That's correct. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Worry overthinking, I believe. I think overthinking is another way that they'll phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. High cholesterol could be another one. That's a side effect. Uh, Like if you have high cholesterol, then there's a good chance you have like liver gallbladder issues too, right? Um, But there's just a bunch of different things like there is a cold flashes hot flashes nightmares insomnia like all these different things there's literally a huge list in this book that i'm now just pecking off of um Mm. outside of what i've started to wonder about um but yeah i'm i'm just i'm really curious to go through this and and i liked i liked the nice reminder that i always knew that the bile is going to be formed first in the liver and obviously that's going to have an impact on the gallbladder. So that's why when people just remove the gallbladder, you're kind of like, okay, well, well, why was the bile sluggish or why did the bile form a stone in the first place? Like we can't just blame the organ that holds the bile. Mm. Um, and this particular book talks about how a lot of the stones are actually in the liver and that the liver probably holds more gallstones, like what we would consider gallstones than the gallbladder itself. So even if you've gotten a gallbladder removed, you could, you could, and should still do flushes and things to help your body purge these things. Mm, never knew that. Right. Me neither. And I was yeah. like, we're always told the stones are in the, the, the gallbladder. Yeah. And I assumed it was from the stagnation, right? Like you, I, you know, you'd think the little canalculi or whatever, I forget all my uh, perfect anatomy of the liver, but like uh, you'd, you'd imagine it's a little bit more like a flowing river, flowing river there. And then it comes to this like little reservoir called the gallbladder where it's a little bit more stagnant. Um, but yeah, it's interesting yeah. to think that it could come from uh, the liver too. It, liver yeah. works on it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you feel this, but I feel like supporting people's liver in general, including the little, the friend of the gallbladder, which uh, I mean, I, I shouldn't include them together, but like, it's almost like you can't go wrong supporting liver work as a naturopathic doctor, right? I feel like it's when, when the physios tell people like, do your core exercises. Well, yeah, you, can, you can't ever go wrong. I think so. And it's, uh, I, I 100% agree with you. I think working on gallbladder health, I'm oh, sorry, working on liver gallbladder health and working on digestive health is going to be fundamental for overall health. And I stand yeah. by that. Yeah, that was bold. So, that was bold. Yeah. But I'm I'm super stoked to read about the flesh further, um, and my 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 colleague's informative pamphlet or handout for me to follow was extremely helpful. But then I was like looking through here, and something that was missing um, was what to expect after. So then the next day, I was kind of like, uh, "Is this normal? What I'm experiencing?" <laughs> well, so you d- you it, did this, right? I did it. I did it last literally last week so last thursday are you gonna give us gory, I, gory details if you want them i'd have what like, a I woman have no sh- i have no shame <laughs> what a woman give us the gory details of the gallbladder flush or maybe you could tell us a bit what's what's in it like whatever makes more sense to you yeah no it's 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 nice because it doesn't require you to take pills or supplements or anything like that but there are specific things that you have to do you have to um I mean, if you already have known stones, then you're probably going to have to do prep work with a physician ahead of time. And this should not be something that you just go and do. Yeah. <laughs> like, please work with someone. This is not medical to, advice. Right? This is yeah. not something that you should just go and do without actually working with someone to make sure that you're being 
uh, looked after properly and that the right steps are being done at the right time because not what are you looking just for <laughs> what are you looking for like as a sort of warning sign maybe you shouldn't do this yet well I mean if you're pregnant you shouldn't be doing it mm -hmm. um, diabetics might have to be careful to do this because they're gonna have to be guided specifically especially about the prep work if you already have known stones then you might want to work with someone to help you break down the stones so they're a little mm -hmm. bit easier to pass um, if you've never done any kind of cleansing beforehand, then you might also just want to make sure that things like, as we say, like opening up the among trees, we want to make mm -hmm. sure that your detoxification pathways are flowing well already as best mm -hmm. as they can be, despite this like sluggishness or bunging up of things in the liver and the gallbladder. Um, there's a couple of other things that, um, I like, again, I'd have to read through this more, but they were even talking about if you have like fungal infections, you're probably going to want to treat that first. You might want to be on an anti-candida diet firsthand, address certain things. Mm -hmm. um, I have to understand more of the ins and outs of that while I read this book, but those were some things that came up. Um, but the, the prep work, the flesh itself is about four, four to six days of eating a diet that is no fat not just little fat but no fats so <clears throat> that was a tough one for me because I literally blend my morning coffee with butter and MCT right. oil so I was like this is a nightmare <clears throat> so how many no days it was about uh, this book says six days when I was talking to my my buddy Jay he was like you could probably do it three to four days max he's like because you don't have any known stones and you're a relatively healthy person and you've done enough stuff that th there's a good chance that you probably he's like, you likely have something or sluggish bile. Cause he's like, everyone that I've put this on has pooped out some stones basically. Um, but he was like, um, any rattles me, in the toilet? Pardon me? No rattles in the toilet when they come No out? rattles in the toilet. No. <laughs> so anyways, you have a, a no fat diet. Yeah. Um, you eat as many vegetables and fruits as you want. And I basically ate lentils with rice to have a bit of protein and like feeling yep. satiated with soy sauce on it uh gluten-free soy sauce of course uh for my gluten sensitive body and <laughs> <laughs> so that was the lead up and then you uh you take um what's the word food grade epsom salts so there's a lot on the market that are not food grade because they're more chemically derived versus versus naturally derived and they're actually quite difficult to find in health food stores so this is something that bag sulfate uh yeah like but food grade epsom yeah. salts right they're not always readily available um so i you make a solution of that and then the night uh the day that you're going to begin the flush you want to make sure you're not working the next day because you're going to have some um eliminations so that you need to be <laughs> mindful of so the day before you expect to have the eliminations you're going to start like the flush that the night uh, on whatever night you're going to start the flush on you have to stop eating by noon and then you have to take these epsom salt solutions two hours apart and then right before bed you drink the solution of like fresh grapefruit juice with olive oil in it which sounds really gross but i actually didn't mind it um and then you have to lie down right away because then after not having fats for so long and then having something that's got that bitter stimulating detoxifying and then the fats your body's mm -hmm. going to want to have a purge um and you also can't be constipated if you're going, if you go into this flesh, because you need to be able to make sure everything is emptying properly. How about don't be constipated ever? <clears throat> ever. But if you struggle good. with that, yeah, you know. don't want to just jump into this. And then the next day you do the Epsom salts waters twice more upon waking and uh, expect some really interesting eliminations. Um, I, <laughs> I did. I, I was like, I was like, um, 
there's basically water coming out of my bum every 10 minutes. <laughs> I have to keep going back to the bathroom. <laughs> well, great weekend. And I messaged, <clears throat> it was fantastic. It was a really great Thursday, literally last week, a week ago today. I was, uh, I think at this time, still experiencing some, uh, some more liquid eliminations. And, but I didn't see any stones. And it was really uh -huh. interesting. And I was like, maybe I, <clears throat> I think most people will. Yeah. Um, I've, I, I have to read, like I said, I have to read the book because my friend didn't really tell me what to expect. Like he was like, yeah, and then you'll probably see stones in the toilet and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, I don't recall seeing any. And I mm -hmm. thought, cool, maybe I don't have any. This is amazing. And I spoke to my friend and he was like, well, because um, he did some energetic testing on me the, like literally a day before. Mm -hmm. And he found certain things. He's like, okay, well, now we have you on a different protocol to help your body like relax, chill out. Because I was a little high strung. It was a stressful couple of weeks prior. So he was like, if you can't emotionally let go, then how are you physically going to let go? So he was like, I would say, do the protocol we have you on try again in three to four weeks. And if you still don't pour, poop out any stones, then you probably didn't have any. So I'm going to try it again. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't see any last week. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And uh, now that I've, I've kind of flipped through Andreas uh, Moritz's book, yeah. it does say to expect 15, up to 15 to 20 watery eliminations the next day. And I was like, oh, interesting. I wish I had known that in advance. So I wasn't being like, is this normal? <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah that's 15 significant. to 20 that's significant yeah. so did so, you did you have to hydrate a little bit differently or whatever during well, this I'm already a big fan of putting salts in my water because I feel yeah. like a lot of people drink a lot of water but they're still not well hydrated and you need those salts and electrolytes and not yeah. just table salt people you need mineral salts yeah. um so I made a point of I always have that every morning anyways and I also drank some electrolyte drinks that day and a few days after just to ensure that I was okay. Um, but you eat pretty lightly that day and then you can gently begin to incorporate um, some, some fats and proteins again, but they don't really encourage you having like going to a cow or having bacon immediately, like start with fish, start with mm -hmm. maybe an egg, some skinless chicken, like that kind of stuff to begin to reintroduce those things. And everything's been fine since, but I'm curious to do it again. Like I'm actually looking forward to it because I really want to see stones. I was really excited to look at stones and put googly eyes on them and put them in like a little uh -oh. jar or something to keep. <laughs> oh well, I was going to ask uh, something about the stones. Like uh, obviously you want to, you, you, you know, you want to see, you want to see that. Um, uh, Cause it's kind of like, yeah, something's like working or like something serious is being expelled. But how did you just feel like even just like rein it in a bit and just go, how did you feel during and after the gallbladder flush? I honestly don't feel like I felt any different. Mm -hmm. um, I think that my digestion, like I've done a lot of work, so I feel like nothing is really feeling different from that capacity. And it's, yeah. it's only been about a week. I don't know if I'll notice more significant changes as time passes. My body continues to just like eliminate better. And yeah. maybe I'll notice a bigger shift after the second pass. Um, because for some people, if they actually do have stones, they might have to do this several months, once a month for several months in a row until they no longer get rid of stones. Cause you're not going to get rid of everything all in one shebang. Right. Yeah. I'd, so I'd the, wonder, full, the full effect might be accumulative. Yeah. And I'd wonder if, you know, it sort of depends on your, uh, the state that you're going into it. Like if you're, if you've yeah. been in a fairly healthy sort of elimination state for a while, maybe in your case, for example, yeah. 
there may not be as much in on the in the way of like uh dramatic things to notice but you'll have to tell yeah, us I, well, I mean we'll have to we'll have to circle back to this one when you do it again right i don't yeah. do a whole episode on it but it'd, it'd be interesting to circle back to it and yeah and see what happens on another you know another run through it yeah oh and leading up to it i had to drink things like tart cherry juice or apple cider vinegar but you're drinking like four ounces of apple cider vinegar and i was doing that all in one in the first day i did i did all in one shebang and i felt weird after and it was like, <laughs> like so weird um I, it, I hadn't eaten breakfast because I don't really eat a breakfast. I eat like a later kind of, you know, I yeah. do my morning coffee and then I have like a intermittent fasty kind of vibe. And then, so I did have a breakfast and I just felt, I felt a little bit like dizzy. I felt off. I felt well, a little something. bit like wobbly yeah. when I drank the apple cider vinegar. Yeah, I wanted to contribute that to the conversation. And uh, I had to go take a nap because I was yeah. just like, I don't know how I feel like this feels weird. So I went and I lied down. I was fine after I took a nap and then I had something to eat and I was great. Um, but then I had like this <clears throat> in the back of my throat because the acidity of it. So um, I think that's something you could probably break up and dilute. I went hardcore and I just did four ounces like right. bing, bang, boom. And then the next day I went and I found tart cherry juice, but it's apparently not as effective of a source of malic acid which is necessary to soften the stones so that when you pass them they don't rip your insides okay so you want to soften the stones with the malic acid and apple cider vinegar is probably one of the best options but it's nice to know the things like tart cherry juice especially if you have active ulcers or anything like that so this is where you want to work with a practitioner to make sure that you're not having any like weird vulnerabilities that would make it really uncomfortable for you to go through this process or limit mm -hmm. your ability to go through the process um but that was a weird one and then so then I started doing half the amount of apple cider uh, apple cider vinegar and then chasing it with tart cherry juice and I was like well that's a winner right there that sounds better so much better yeah yeah but that was that was weird and wobbly and then the day I did the actual grapefruit juice and olive oil you just go straight to bed and you're supposed to relax and go to sleep and I don't know if it was the excitement of doing the flush but I had <laughs> mad insomnia that day <laughs> I think it was just like, what's going to come out of me? How is this going to feel? Is this going to be okay? I was just all up in my head. Well, it was not okay. <laughs> what's what's the what's the thinking? Uh, what's the thinking behind having it before bed? I'll tell you what I'm thinking of circadian rhythms and how I, I I'm now getting all my patients to uh, finish their eating by six, like if they can, or, or just don't eat after dinner, whatever dinner is, because it cranks up all your uh, all your systems. And it's like, well, that's not time to sleep because now everything's all cranked up. So I'm just wondering, you know, what, what is the thinking, do you know, before having it before bed? Well, they say you're supposed to lie down on your back or ideally on your right side, which is your liver gallbladder side. Right. Um, and I think the purpose of that is that you're relaxing to just allow your body to do all the heavy lifting and that you're not active. They even say, go to bed right away, lie down and don't even talk. You need to conserve all your energy for your body to just like do what it needs to do. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it. But also if we think about the Chinese medicine clock, you have to go to bed. You do, you do the grapefruit juice at 10 o'clock at night. So that you're asleep probably ideally by 11 which is technically gallbladder time according to the chinese medicine clock okay so i wonder if that's also a probably. link in there too there's probably a connection with that because like the gallbladder and then the liver follows so that you're asleep during those hours um but i think it's also just that you're fully resting to allow your body to just do the purge it needs to do um but yeah maybe maybe there's more details in the book once i 
like I said, crack the binding a little bit more and get through it. Um, there might be there. I'm sure he has some rationale for that mm -hmm. listed in the book and I'll, I'll report back. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I wonder, I wonder um, if it would be different at any time, any other time of day, because that's a thing I'm, I highly recommend people follow. Uh, well, I, I read the circadian code um, and really cool, like really, really beneficial stuff in there. Like we've always known about clocks, I guess, in, in natural medicine or various types of, um, uh, you know, traditional medicine. Clocks have always been a thing. We've known about them, but the, I like the book because it does, it helps like a lot of times Western sort of scientific mind helps refine a little bit of what we already knew but then they claim it as as if they discovered it which is not entirely true but um <laughs> so what's the book called again the circadian code the circadian code i think the to... author's name is sachin something i forget but i mean i'm finding it really helpful for i, I mean maybe i don't want to I mean, this is about the gallbladder, but this is relevant because I wonder for different, I wonder how it would work at different times because, um, well, why not? Because I'm, what I'm finding now is not only what you're doing matters, but when you do it matters. For, for example, blue light, like, okay, I had a patient in here sitting beside me in the office I'm in right now. She had blue light glasses on in the day. I'm like, wrong, not good. In fact, very, very bad. You're supposed to have blue light in the day. You should not have it, however, at night. So it's like, it's about timing of things is really, really important. So I want, I wonder if that's something that would be, uh, yeah, would be impactful and, in terms of how it works. And then in terms of even the, the whole clock scenario, your stomach and your, what, what time is the stomach is what? Five, no, five till seven. I don't know them. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be, out, no, I don't know them. But I know I'm thinking that about the Chinese medicine. Yeah, I know that one. I know the gallbladder is 11 to 1 because that's right before liver time. Lungs is 3 to 5 because I remember that one because when my dad, my dad was really sick before he passed away, I literally woke up for two weeks between like 3 and 5 o'clock. Like, oh yeah, it was wild. Um, and I'm pretty sure the stomach follows shortly after and then or or the colon first and I wonder if also the timing of it is you're asleep for those hours so that your body can like detox because your dog your body does a lot of reparative work during the sleep exactly. and then when you're when your elimination organs wake up like your colon wakes up in the morning then you have the perch right because yeah. so I wonder if there's also something to have to do with that Chinese medicine clock too so that by the time you wake up the next day your body's ready to just eliminate yeah there's something to it like I know that I know for example just the gut as a whole like in terms of the uh intestines anyways they, they just slow down at night and it has changed my thinking of like when to dose things yeah yeah right? so and that's oh I don't know why I just thought of this but this was another thing that I did for my recovery other than electrolytes I was also making sure to take some prebiotics just because things came out so yeah quite quite rapidly yeah. um, and in a different form than most people are used to. <laughs> I was like, let's add in some of the, the food for the, the good bugs again. So I've yeah. been doing the psyllium in the mornings, but adding a little bit of like prebiotic powders. I know. Two of my of absolute favorites. <laughs> they are the most boring. Some of the most boring things are the absolute best. Prebiotics are like, I think they've been trashed by all the um, like SIBO, SIBO people or whatever. But like, if you actually look at the definition of a prebiotic, it only feeds good bacteria. Um, right. So prebiotics have been like, I'm so glad you're using prebiotics, Michelle. They've been sort of like shelved as a, 
Yeah. yeah and and like fos and all that got like yes. torn up and i i also don't love giving fos in a probiotic because depending on where i am in a stage of healing for a client i'm not giving them prebiotics off the bat so even with SIBO, i understand why they don't do it which is also why the low fodmaps diet is so trendy which i hate that diet because you well, need zero fiber, sustain yeah zero sustainability right? but i think that depending on where you are in the healing process because if if you, if you still have too much of a good thing in the small intestines, you still don't want to feed that unless until you've allowed things to like rebalance. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's the whole purpose of, of, of that. So like for me, prebiotics weren't something that I wanted until I fixed my gut microbiome better. Mm -hmm. And now it's something that I make sure to pepper into my weekly routine, at least several times a week. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. They're beauties. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, who are you thinking like when, I mean, obviously you've done this on yourself, but who are you thinking of? Like when you think of this gallbladder, are you thinking everyone should do it at some point or is it just Everybody. like, Everybody. it's like that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you get a gallbladder flush. I'm going to be like the new Oprah, but you get a gallbladder flush. You get a gallbladder flush. <laughs> no, I do. I, I really do. Just like you even said, I think that people just don't give enough love to liver and our liver and our gut health are so pivotal for people just to function optimally. And I think that maybe not everyone has to do like six to nine months of gallbladder flushing because they're full of stones. But I think that um, just like I also believe that parasites are really pervasive and you might have to do a few months um, of upfront up work. But then after that, you might want to do a parasite cleanse once every one to two years, because we're exposed to them constantly. If mm. you're not, if it, and, and as much as we need to become more resilient as humans to not be vulnerable, we also live in a world that really puts a lot of pressure on our bodies and our ability to function optimally. So I think that sometimes we have to have these like little like cleanse checkpoints regularly. And I think doing a gallbladder flush is probably something that most people could stand to do like once a year or something, or once mm. every couple of years. Right. I so. think, I think traditionally, like we did cleanses a lot, you know, in many other cultures around the world, like independently decided it was sort of a good idea. So there's probably something to it. Um, yeah. When, when multiple places that, that didn't talk to each other thought of the same thing, there's probably something yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, this week I I've been where I would, sorry, go oh, on. Sorry. I think that where I would start my focus though, for my clients are the people who have overt gallbladder issues yeah. um who have had stone who have stones or who have had their gallbladders removed um but i think also those people who just look like they have there's just a lot of weird stuff and i feel like optimizing the detoxification can just set them on the right track mm -hmm. right it's not it's that those weird more complicated cases where there's like there's migraines and then there's this and then there's a skin it's issue and then they have this and they have first. this and, right and yeah. i feel like just get things moving and grooving out of the body and that'll probably just accelerate everything else you do after well that's that's yeah that's what I, I had that bit of a realization this week that's i mean it's a bit oversimplified you have to be careful of oversimplifying but i was like yeah. if i can help people craft an enviable stool and like uh restore like a, engender some restorative sleep like my god that's you know have a great crap and have like honestly have a have a great bowel movement and have a great sleep and a lot of other stuff will sort of like get a little bit better anyway if not more um, it's foundational stuff foundational stuff we can't take for granted foundational things that our body is like our body is meant to take a good crap every day our body is meant to rest we can't mm -hmm. pretend that those aren't important so i'm on board with that 
Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay, so I've I've learned lots about the gallbladder flush. I have you have to maybe you'll um, maybe you could share like uh, is there a link or something that we could maybe uh, share with people just to get a quick overview of it or where did you get like, is there somewhere you direct people to go if they want to learn a bit more? Oh, uh, I don't know about that because my friend sent me his handout that he gives clients specifically. Right. So um, and then I just found. Andrea Moritz's book on literally on Amazon. There, we can, so, we can send, yeah, we can send. Yeah, so it's that. literally called The Amazing Liver and Gallbladder Flesh by Andreas Moritz. Okay. And uh, you're going to do another amazing gallbladder flush. Uh, when, when will you do it? Probably in like two weeks. I'm probably, okay. so okay. I wanted to do it in three weeks because if I waited for a week to be right before Christmas and I was like, so then what? I can't <laughs> eat, I can't eat the Polish cabbage rolls I make for everybody else. And I just sit there sadly at the cut the table. I was like, now nah, we're doing this in three weeks. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> so I was like, timing is key. You guys. <laughs> yeah. Timing is key. I think there's a theme there and that, that sort of was pervasive in our chat today. Th timing is sure. key with, with things. Okay. So we're going to circle back to, uh, to it another time on on how part two went i'm excited yeah. <laughs> I'm like a kid in a candy store i, I was tell. not joking when i said i was like joking with some of the, the reception staff at my one clinic because i was at my georgetown clinic the night that i was going to start the flush and then um the receptionist there and i were joking and i was like hey like i'm so excited to see these stones and a whole bunch of people on my instagram i pulled them and like 90 something percent of people were like we want to see the stones and i was like y'all are gross and i appreciate it and uh we were joking at the clinic that we'll put my stones in a jar like like i was saying we'll put them at the front just to, 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 as a as a conversation starter and then be like <laughs> Oh my god, that's funny. There'll be, there'll be a contest then. Like, are your stones bigger than mine? They'll be the you know, you know how <laughs> that stuff goes. Oh gosh. I, anyway. I kind of did want to put googly eyes on it. I wasn't joking when I said that. Like have like a little gallstone pet. It's like a pet I, rock, but it's stone. Michelle, I pray for you to get large um rewarding output the next time you do a gallbladder flush. I greatly appreciate that. Okay, so before we started, is there anything else you want to um, you want to share about this gallbladder flush or anything else in general that we should make people know before we shut her down for today? Yes. Go. Um, <laughs> um, vulnerabilities to why people develop stones partly is the shitty diets that we have in North America. We eat a lot of sugar. We eat a lot of salt. We eat a lot of fat. We don't eat enough fiber. We don't eat a lot of bitter greens and bitter foods. We don't eat a lot of sours. We don't eat a lot of fermented foods. And all of that puts a limiting factor on your digestion, the flow of things like your detoxification properties. Like I remember when my mom and my dad used to have this post-dinner digestive aperitif and it was called Sinar and it had a big globe artichoke on the front and I had cool. no idea like, and I loved artichokes, but this did not taste like eating a delicious artichoke covered in garlic butter. Like mm -hmm. this is like bitter. Mm -hmm. um, and now I really appreciate that because those bitter digestives improve bile flow. They improve liver function. They improve digestive health. Um, and I think that there's a really big missing hole in North American diet for a lot of reasons. But one of them I think is because it makes you more susceptible to not support your detoxification pathways. Man. yeah we, it's, yeah cultures have known this for a long time when i talk about bitters i say there's probably some 
woman, you know, some some grandma in Austria or somewhere right now telling her kids to like have their bitters after they eat or whatever. So, or Sinar from Poland, which I'm looking at. Sinar is owned by the Campari group. It's a liqueur. Yeah, Sinar. Sinar. And then, but even think of like Campari and like uh, those Italian, like what's a... Aperol spritz and stuff, yeah, you know or even in even in Italian foods, you eat dandelion grease; they're bitter. I love rapini; it's bitter. Radicchio uh -huh. is bitter. Like we eat all of that. The taste of the taste of the bitter it it causes a, a lot of reflexive stuff that goes on, you know, in the upper GI at least to make totally. things happen. You have bitter receptors all the way through the gut. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I feel like that's something that we need to do. And sour foods and the fermenteds, those are good also, right? Like I'm half Polish, half Italian. So a lot of bitter foods and a lot of fermented sour foods. So maybe I've always set myself up for a bit of a gallbladder win. Maybe that's why I don't have stones. <laughs> wow. Well, hey it could be that. And it sounds, it sounds like you've got a pretty good handle on your uh, liqueurs here too. So like naturopath <laughs> and mixologist and fun at parties probably. So. I am a hell of a good time at a party, David. Okay, well, we're going to party again. Uh, are we partying? We might party next week too. So yeah. uh, everyone stay tuned probably for a little bit more of Dr. Michelle Pobega on that naturopathic podcast in the near future. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, Michelle, that was fun as always. I love it. Okay. We'll talk to you again next it. week. Thanks, man. Okay. Talk to you take next care. week. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada.